I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's up, everybody, and welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So... If you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. Coda, did you get a chance to listen to our spooky song last week? Yes, you uh, played me a ditty of it. And? I I thought it was spooky. In fact, I haven't slept since. That's fair, that's fair. Listeners, what did you think of our spooky song? Yes, I love that you were being very thematic and going with the Halloween song. It was very cool. It was cool, it was cool, yeah. yeah. So we are doing spooky season for October because we are very original here at The Reluctant Historian. And so for this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, cool. I'm into it, but also, uh, witches two weeks in a row? Well, they're two different things. We did okay. the history of witches, okay. and now we're looking at a specific event. So okay, this don't is at me. Uh, don't, hey, come, don't at me, bro. Uh, this is maybe what I thought last week was going to be then, because um, mm. I think when I think of witches, I often think of um, Salem, right? And yep. so, uh, cool. I'm interested. Yeah. Um, but I mean, witches two weeks in a row. I don't know. You just <laughs> said about we're really original, and you pull out pull this shit. I know. Well, we've had you know we've had lots of people request this one as well. So, oh, really? Uh, okay. Jordan, Alexi, um, two. Teresa, to... I think, requested it. I feel like we've had a few people. Well, I think millions of fans is what you're trying to say. Yes, we have millions of fans. Obviously. So sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to the history of the Salem Witch Trials. by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement and recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. So Dakota, what's your golden nugget? Yeah, I kind of have two. One's a mini one, but one's a big, bigger one. Ooh. So let's start with the bigger one. Oh, okay. Which is, which is, I, you see what I did there? I see what you did I, there. I said which is. But it came out as witches. You're so funny. Oh, that was un- unintentionally hilarious. Anyways, we watched Squid Game. We did. And we, of course, you know, with our theme of Halloween, we have to stay relevant. Right. Uh, you know, you said we're relevant, so we're staying relevant. No, I said we're original. Original. Okay, well, we're original works too. And we're original by watching the show that everyone else has watched. Squid Game is fucking dope, and you should watch it. Yes, it's good. If you don't know what it is... uh. Just a Korean drama that a bunch of fucked up shit happens, yeah. and just just go from there. Just watch it if you haven't already. It's the biggest series ever on Netflix. The creator who made it uh, was so stressed out making it, he lost six teeth. That's wild. So uh, for his six teeth, 
you should watch this. Yes, I agree. Yes. Did you uh, like it? I did like it. I don't think I liked it as much as you liked it. No. Um, I don't know why. I, like, I really liked it because it made me feel reminiscent of korea um, yeah yeah a lot of the times uh in it you would point out stuff stuff you recognize or like things that they do that is very cultural i thought mm-hmm. that was really cool yeah so that was nice and uh i really like the korean language i think it's a cool sounding language so mm-hmm. i told you i could read it but i never knew what any of the words yeah. <laughs> i was reading were which makes it pointless then. yeah yeah i taught myself the korean alphabet so i could read korean but i didn't know what i was saying yeah <laughs> or what any of the words meant so. yeah but anyways uh so go watch it and um my sort of second one is that tonight for supper um we're having craft dinner <gasps> yes and i'm having cotton candy flavored craft dinner yeah. and it's uh, these new pouches that you pour in and i'm very intrigued i just had the butter chicken one a few days ago but it was way too spicy for me and i'm baby i tried putting sour cream in it it wasn't bad actually. Well, I mean like butter chicken and sour cream is like not a not a no, not a not it's a good like, thing. It's like it goes together like peanut butter and ladies. Do you remember that line? <laughs> no. No, what the fuck? <laughs> That's from Talladega Nights. I've never seen Talladega Nights, so and why would never I know see, that and line? And you've never seen Anchorman either, have you? No, I've seen Anchorman. Oh, you have. Okay. Well, Talladega Nights is dope. It's on Netflix. I actually don't know if you'd like it, but not. but they one of the his best friends says that goes together like peanut butter and ladies. So, I didn't come up with that, so don't at me, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't at us on this. So, anyways, I hope that it's good. But it- Craft dinner and cotton candy? It probably won't be, but stay tuned. Yeah, next week, I guess we'll be able to tell you how it went. Yes. So, and if I remember, maybe I'll post something on Instagram. We'll see. You should write it down. That is a great idea. Behind the scenes actions with Dakota. Behind the scenes action with Dakota. (laughs) What is your golden nugget? I realized as we were talking about this that I didn't know what my golden nugget was. Yeah, I figured. Um, yeah, okay, I guess so I have started, no, I can't say, I can't take credit for this. One of my students has started an esports league at the school and asked me to be the coach. Uh, so I said yes. And so we had our, la- our first practice last week and it went really well. For those of you who don't know what esports is, it's just sports, but at a computer. And it's very cool. Uh, they're playing Rocket League, which is a video game where you play as a rocket car. Yeah. And it, mixed with soccer. So you yeah, have, there's a it's big hard. Ball. Yeah, it's a very hard game. I'm terrible at it. I'm envious of people who are good at it. Like my but, students. Yeah, but you get to uh, be their coach. Yeah, like I'm not actually coaching them because I don't know any strats or anything. But like, yeah. I can just be like, good job, guys. You yeah. Did it. <laughs> but uh, the thing that I really appreciated is so I've got like about 15 kids on the team. Um, and they're just all the weirdos. And they're so awesome. Um, but we introduced ourselves at the beginning of it. And I was like, well, why did you join the league? And a lot of them said, you know, during COVID, um, I didn't have friends. I didn't have a lot of community. I didn't get to see people. And I just really want community again. And so I was just like, my heart. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, you, you, you hadn't told me that. That's really cool. I thought you were sitting right beside me when it happened. You had headphones in. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they told me. Okay, that's really nice. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of, thought of that. I just... Uh, thought they you know would want to be part of something which is also true but it's cool that this gets to bring them together so yeah uh very cool i'm i mean i'm i'm the unofficial assistant coach right so they haven't met me yet i'm behind the scenes he's too scared to see them he's scared of teenagers i am a teenager scare the living piss out of me that's the lyric right no it's shit 
I know. <laughs> Don't worry, I know. I'm just being... <laughs> Miley. I'm just being Miley, as as Miley Cyrus once said. So last week, we talked about the history-ish of witches. And, uh, and how uh, they cause us to have wet dreams. Yes. Um, and I mentioned the Malleus Maleficarum and how it was used to hunt down and try witches. This led to a number of mass hysteria events where many people were accused and executed as witches. However, the most famous that we may know about are the Salem Witch Trials of Salem, Massachusetts, which didn't occur in Europe, but rather they happened in the new colony of America. So if you read The Crucible in high school, you might also be familiar with this story. I was too busy reading The Giver. For your entire high school career? <laughs> no, actually, the, the longest book that it ever took me was um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, mm-hmm. because Teresa had been reading the first three to me at that, before this time, and then she read part of four to me, stopped, and then I was like, well, fuck, I guess I got to read it what myself. What a good trick, Teresa. Well done. I know. And that I and she's doing, she had, I don't think, I think her and her daughter stopped at, at four as well. Uh, so. Is it working on her? The daughter? N- no, I don't think so. But the, the thing is, that fucking book is 636 pages long, roughly. Mm-hmm. And it took me two years to finish. <laughs> Granted, I didn't read it the entire two years. I would stop and start a ton of times. But right. improvement, when the last book came out, I stood in line for it. I, was, I got the fourth copy in Moose Jaw when I lived there. And I read that book in, I think, four days. Good for you. Yeah. Fucking good book. Yes. Uh, F- also about witches. Yes. Also about witches. FJK Rowling, but I do love those books. Yeah. The Salem Witch Trials occurred in colonial Massachusetts between 1692 and 1693. Here, more than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft, and 20 were executed. So as we learned last week, belief in the supernatural, specifically in the devil's practice of giving certain humans, otherwise known as witches, the power to harm others in return for their loyalty, had emerged in Europe around the 14th century. A witchcraft craze rippled through Europe from the 1300s to the end of the 1600s. And this belief was widespread in colonial New England too, though the Salem witch trials came on just as the European craze was winding down. However, local circumstances can explain their onset. So a little bit of background. There were two Salems in the late 17th century, the bustling and commerce-oriented port community on Massachusetts Bay known as Salem Town, and roughly 16 kilometers inland from that, a smaller, poorer farming community of some 500 people known as Salem Village. What? Well, that's just stupid. Yes. <laughs> they're they're 16 kilometers away, and they're both named Salem? <laughs> no, Salem Town and Salem Village. Uh, wait, okay, here's, here's a query for you. Yeah. What if Salem Village, all of a sudden, the population spikes to jump them up from village to town? Then well, what the fuck happens? Their name is Salem Village, and they're just called Salem so Village. That is, they should be called Salem Salem Liar at that point I, if their population spikes. That's what they should be doing. Uh, the village itself had a noticeable social divide that was exacerbated by a rivalry between its two leading families. Sorry, this was between the villages? No, in the village itself. Oh, in which, the village. Okay. Yeah, so Salem Town is just like out there doing its thing. It's got lots of money. Are they relevant to this? No. Oh, okay. So we were focusing on Salem Village then. Yes. Okay, that's sound sounds good. Yes. Uh, I was uh, I I thought there was going to be a rivalry between the two towns or something like that. Well, there was. Well, of course. But if like, they're that close, I mean, so, we we had a rivalry with Lucky Lake. Apparently, <laughs> that's a small town thing. We got nothing else better to do, so we're just like, ah, let's uh, 
uh, f- fuck the neighboring town. Wow. But we had paved roads and they didn't. That's so. good. Yeah, I don't know which one town or village had paved roads or not. <laughs> I'm guessing neither. <laughs> yeah. But, but okay, so, like, the reason that I'm telling you about this rivalry is because it speaks to the um, increase of tensions that would have existed for the people that lived in these two communities. So we have people in Salem Village who are feeling tense and upset about their circumstances based on the rivalry with Salem Town. So that's why it's important. Rivalries between towns can cause a lot of tension. Yeah, did you accuse 200 people of being witches in your town? In my town. In Beachy? Uh, no, I, I have anxiety, so I, uh, I just thought it a lot, you know? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't like talking to people. That guy's a witch, but like, <laughs> I'm not talking to him. That's fair. So back to Salem Village, itself had a noticeable divide that was exacerbated by a rivalry between its two leading families, the well-to-do porters who had strong connections with Salem Town's wealthy merchants, and the Putnams who sought greater autonomy for the village and were the figureheads for the less prosperous farm families. Okay, so, sorry, so there's the Putnams and the... The porters. Putnams and the porters, the Montagues and the Capulets, I got it, okay. Yeah, but you don't really need to know their names... That's good to know. I I won't remember them, so. So, we're doing a brief history of the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. I thought about going really in-depth with it and making you know about the Porters and the Putnams, but then I knew you'd hate it, so I didn't do it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yes. And sorry, listeners, who wanted to know that, but this is my podcast, okay? So, squabbles over property were commonplace. So, again, we've got that tension that exists. So, yes. it exists on the broader scope, town versus town but also on the more intimate scope, person versus person. Mm -hmm. In 1689, backed by the Putnams, Samuel Paris, a merchant from Boston, became the pastor of the village's congregational church. Paris was actually in the process of changing careers from business to ministry, so it wasn't that far of a leap. He moved to Salem Village and brought his wife, their three children, a niece, and two enslaved people named, named John Indian and Tituba. I don't know why when you said enslaved pe- people, like, he brought enslaved people, I was, like, surprised. Yeah, that's, this was a common thing. Yeah, that's, like, <laughs> very common back then, but yes. I was, uh, uh, I didn't expect us to get into slavery in that's this fair. one. But Paris had negotiated a good contract for himself with this move, but early in his tenure, he sought greater compensation, including ownership of the parsonage, which did mm-hmm. not sit well with many members of the congregation. Paris's orthodox Puritan theology and preaching also divided the congregation. Paris was disliked because of his rigid ways and greedy nature. So again, more tension in this community. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. A uh, Just what God would want him to want more. Yes. And grovel, not grovel. What's another word? I don't know. But he wa- he's a greedy bastard. And yeah. that is not, that is not the Lord's way, it's, I tell thee. It's not. So I'll tell you a little bit about Puritans, because they're the people that make up Salem Village and that are part of this whole witch trials. Uh, They're members of a religious reform movement. They believed that the Church of England was too similar to the Roman Catholic Church, and they wanted to eliminate ceremonies and practices not rooted in the Bible. They were unwelcome in England, so certain groups migrated to the northern English colonies, laying the foundation for the religious, intellectual, and social order of New England. All Puritans did not agree on all doctrinal points, but they did share similar views on the nature of God, human sinfulness, and the relationship between God and mankind. The concept of covenant was extremely important to Puritans and was central to their beliefs. Covenant theology attests that when God created Adam and Eve, he promised them eternal life in return for perfect obedience. This belief also asserted that as sinners, every person deserves damnation. Damn. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm like, I don't know if that's biblical. No. In family life, Puritans based their marriages on portrayals of Adam and Eve, and that husbands were the spiritual heads of the household, while women were to demonstrate religious piety and obedience under male authority. Puritan husbands commanded authority through family direction and prayer. The female relationship to her husband and to God was marked by submissiveness and humility. Yeah, I mean, I can see where they're coming from. That's yeah. That seems... This is like your new bit that you're trying out, hey? What? That you're like a, like a manly man. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm not a manly man? Well, you're just you. Just me. You know what? What? You're making the macaroni tonight. Sw- served. What? <clears throat> I got you. Chick. Chick. Uh. <laughs> Puritans also believed in the active existence of the devil and demons as evil forces that could possess and, and cause harm to men and women. There was also widespread belief in witchcraft and witches. So you brought up witchcraft, okay? Now this is something that I wrote down earlier and I thought I'd bring it up now. You should do witchcrafts in your school with the kids, okay? Well, I did when I was uh, teaching elementary school. Cool. But then when somebody accuses you of doing witchcraft in your school, you just say, no, we're just doing witchcrafts. Perfect. Nailed it. Got it. Thanks. I'll, I'll be here all week. Finally, Puritans believed God had chosen a few people called the elect for salvation. The rest of humanity was condemned to eternal damnation, but no one really knew if he or she was saved or damned. Puritans lived in a constant state of spiritual anxiety, searching for signs of God's favor or anger. The experience of conversion was considered an important sign that an individual had been saved. Faith, not works, was the key to salvation. So again, got all this tension among people, but then you're also like, I don't know if I'm going to go to hell, and if I am going to go to hell, there's really nothing I can do about it. So you're and, just like constantly anxious. And there wasn't anxiety medication at right. the time. So... That sounds, really, that sounds like the worst kind of hell. <laughs> yeah. So it was not only individual salvation that mattered, the spiritual health and welfare of a community as a whole was paramount as well, for it was the community that honored and kept the covenant. On top of this, the harsh realities of life in the rural Puritan community of Salem Village at the time included the after effects of a British war with France in the American colonies in 1689, a recent smallpox epidemic, fears of attacks from neighboring indigenous groups, and the long-standing rivalry with the community of Salem Town. All of these things made the community ripe for an explosion of witch hysteria. For amid these simmering tensions, the Salem witch trials would be fueled by residents' suspicions of and resentment toward their neighbors, as well as their fear of outsiders. So let's get into it. Let's do it. In January 1692, nine-year-old Elizabeth Paris, so that's Reverend Paris's daughter, and her 11-year-old cousin, Abigail Williams, began having fits. They screamed, threw things, uttered peculiar sounds, and contorted themselves into strange positions. The girls complained of being pinched and pricked with pins. A local doctor could find no physical evidence of any ailment, and then other young women in the community began to exhibit similar behavior. So they've been just randomly starting to contort and stuff like that? And scream. And scream, and they're not, uh, um, and they're making the complaints about it to their parents well they're doing it like in front of their parents they'll just like drop to the floor and be like but but so are these these kids are freaked out by it too though um i don't know if they ever say if they're freaked out about it or not i'm just wondering (laughs) if they're like ah witches the parents are like ah witches and the kids are like no dad it's just gymnastics (laughs) (laughs) 
On February 29th, under pressure from the magistrates Jonathan Corwin and Jonathan Hathorne, the girls blamed three women for putting them under a spell. They accused Tituba, Sarah Good, an anger-filled beggar, and Sarah Osborne, an elderly, impoverished woman. Each of these women was a kind of outcast and exhibited many of the character traits typical of the usual suspects for witchcraft accusations. Wait, what was, what was, what was Tit's deal? Tituba. What was her deal? She was an enslaved person. Oh, okay. She was the Reverend Paris's enslaved person. Okay, I'm, I missed, I missed that part. I just, uh, I was like, okay, you describe what was wrong with the other people, but what was her deal? Yeah. Okay. She was not white. I see. They were left to defend themselves. Brought before the local magistrates on the complaint of witchcraft, they were interrogated for several days starting on March 1st. Both Good and Osborne claimed innocence, though Good did actually accuse Osborne of being a witch. But Tituba confessed, no doubt out of fear due to her vulnerable status as a slave. She said, the devil came to me and he bid me to serve him. She described elaborate images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a black man, not black man, but a man that was just fully black. Uh, Slenderman. Yeah, kind of. Who wanted her to sign her book. She admitted that she signed the book in which she also saw the names of Good and Osborne, along with seven others that she could not read. So the Slenderman comes to her <laughs> and is like, Can you please sign my book? I'm a huge fan! <laughs> what? And then, it's like a book signing. Ah, yeah. <laughs> she said there were several other witches looking to destroy the Puritans. The magistrates then had not only a confession, but also what they accepted as evidence of the presence of more witches in the community, and hysteria mounted. More girls and young women began experiencing fits, including Anne Putnam, the child of the people who brought Paris to Salem. In March, others were accused of witchcraft. Martha Corey, a child named Dorothy Good and Rebecca Nurse in Salem Village, and Rachel Clinton from the nearby town of Ipswich. So Dorothy Good was actually Sarah Good's daughter. I, I wondered if there was a correlation. I wasn't sure, though. Martha Corey had expressed skepticism about the credibility of the girls' accusations and thus drawn their attention. The charges against her and Rebecca Nurse deeply troubled the community because both women were fully covenanted members of the church. If such upstanding people could be witches, townspeople thought, then anybody could be a witch, and church membership was no protection against accusation. Dorothy Good, the daughter of Sarah Good, was only four years old, what? but was not exempted from questioning, and her answers were construed as a confession that implicated her mother. <laughs> so let me ask you, Dorothy Good, why did you turn the sailor into a toad? And then she's just there like, can hardly, oh, I, I'm, uh, here's the thing, I'm confused by children, so this, uh, this joke isn't gonna go very many places, cause at four years old, I'm trying to think back to my niece. Yeah, she could walk and talk. Yes. Huh. You know what? Let's just, let's carry on, you know? Uh, leave that in there just to explain that I don't know anything about children. Got it. But, there was a joke in there somewhere. I think there <laughs> you was. You don't always nail it. That's, That's uh, fair. I want the, I want to leave this in, cause I want the listeners to know that, I don't always nail it, you know? 98% of the time I do, but there's that 2% time. Anyways, carry on. As the weeks passed, many of the accused proved to be enemies of the Putnams, and Putnam family members would end up being the accusers in dozens of cases. In May, Governor William Phipps ordered the establishment of a special court to oyer, which means to hear, and terminer, to decide, for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. Uh, so I've skipped over all the people who were arrested, but at this point it was about 56 
um, just because I didn't want to list 56 people. And this Putnam person was making all the accusations? Uh, so Betty Paris. So the Reverend. Reverend. Yeah, her niece or her cousin, Abigail Williams. Wait, Paris is a girl? Reverend Paris is, Betty Paris is a girl, but her dad is the the pastor of the community. Okay. He's the one that's accusing. No, the girls are. The girls are. Okay. Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm following everything. So his wife and daughter are accusing? His daughter and her cousin. Son of a bitch! Her daughter and the cousins. Yes, and then their friend Anne Putnam. Anne Putnam. Yes. And then a bunch of other random girls. There's like a whole group of them that, I think it was about six, that were like, We saw Goody Osborne in the field, and she doth pricked us. They should make a Mean Girls 3 about this. And I bet you're wondering, Dakota, what are you talking about? Mean Girls 3? What happened to 2? There is a Mean Girls 2. I've never seen it. But they should make a Mean Girls 3 about just Salem Witch Trials. I think it would throw the audience for a loop. Probably. Continue. The accused were forced to defend themselves without the aid of counsel. The most damning evidence against them was the admission of spectral evidence, that is, claims by the victims that they had seen and been attacked by specters of the accused, whose form Satan allegedly had assumed to work his evil. Even as the so-called witches testified on the witness stand, the girls and young women who accused them would writhe and whimper and babble in the gallery, seemingly providing evidence of the specters' demonic presence. Those who confessed, or who confessed and named other witches, were spared the court's vengeance owing to the Puritan belief that they would receive their punishment from God. Those who insisted on their innocence met harsher fates, becoming martyrs to their own sense of justice. Many in the community who viewed the unfolding events as travesties remained mute, afraid that they would be punished for raising objections to the proceedings, or worse, be accused of witchcraft themselves. So if you said, yep, I'm a witch, you were free to go? But you would have to name other witches. So they, yeah, they would say, okay, are you a witch? And I'd be like, yes, I am. Okay, who are you in league with? And I'd be like, ah, yes, I saw Dakota hanging out by the tree. And he was with Ollie and Jasper and Louise. And they were praying to the devil. And then they'd be like, <laughs> okay, you're free to go. But now we're going to go round up the rest of them. And then right, you, so... they'd all be thrown in jail. And I don't think, I think even if you confessed, you wouldn't weren't necessarily like free to go about your life. I don't know exactly what happened to them. But, but, but wait, so say me and Ollie and Jasper and Louise were all rounded up, then would we have to be, would we have to be put in jail and stay there or would we? So you would be put in jail until your trial. And then I would be like, yes, I'm a witch. And then, ah, you're free to go. And then you'd have to name other people usually. Wow. That's, uh. Yeah, I w- would do they announce would they announce to you what your punishment would be if you claimed innocence? You would get hung. No, no, would they tell you that beforehand? Oh, um well, I think you would know by the time that this started happening because um this went on for like 3 months and they just kept mm. hanging people. So yeah, you'd be like, ah, I'm probably going to get hung. Yes, I'm a witch. <laughs> I'm a I'm a oogity witch. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then uh, then it's like, okay, carry on. Keep on doing your witchcraft. Uh, well, I keep- think you get stuck in jail. Oh, okay. So you get put back put back in jail. I don't think they're going to let witches go free. Well, that's what I was confused by, because yeah. it just seemed to be like that you were saying they're just about Yeah, you know, go. honestly, these are great questions that I did not see answers to. Don't let the listeners know that. you got to pretend like you know everything. I don't. We'll talk about this later. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> the first case brought to the special court was Bridget Bishop, an older Br- woman. Bridget Bishop's diary. <laughs> an older woman known for her gossipy habits and promiscuity. <laughs> She wore black clothing and odd costumes, which was against the Puritan code. When asked if she committed witchcraft, 
Bishop responded, I am as innocent as the child unborn. No, I'm just cosplaying as Game of Thrones today. (laughs) The defense must not have been convincing because she was the first to be found guilty and on June 10th became the first person hanged on what was later called Gallows Hill. Five days later, respected minister Cotton Mather, I don't know if you remember him from our smallpox episode? Well, I was kind of, when you said that smallpox, I was like, I think we did an episode on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he shows up in our smallpox episode as well. He was like kind of important. Did I, did I, um, do something with his name by chance? I can't remember. I feel like I would have been like, what was his name? Cotton Mather. I'm Cotton Mather. Just wait till you hear his dad's name. What is it? Oh, I can't tell you right now. Okay. So five days later, respected minister Cotton Mather wrote a letter imploring the court not to allow spectral evidence, which was testimony about dreams and visions. The court largely ignored this request, and five people were sentenced and hanged in July, including George Burroughs, who had served as the minister in Salem Village from 1680 to 1683. Damn. Yeah, he was summoned to Salem from his new home in Maine. So can you imagine being like, yo, we need you to come back here so we can fucking kill you. That's crazy. And he was accused of being the witch's ringleader. He too was convicted and, along with four other people, was hanged in August. As he stood on the gallows, he recited the Lord's Prayer perfectly, something no witch was thought to be able to do, which raised doubts about his guilt for some of those in attendance, though their protests were refuted. Eight more were hanged in September. So he was still ha- hanged yeah. even though he did it and said that? Yeah. <sighs> In addition to these executions, seven other accused witches died in jail. And then the elderly Giles Corey, so that's Martha Corey's husband, was pressed to death by stones after he refused to enter a plea at his arraignment. Pressed to death? What the fuck does that mean? Yes. So this was called pain fort et dur, meaning strong and hard punishment. It was a form of torture in which the subject is pressed beneath an increasingly heavy load of stones in an attempt to make him enter a plea. Hmm. So you're laid on the ground, and then they just keep putting rocks on top of you. Oh, until... Until you say what you they want you to say. So he, they were like, we're accusing you of a witch, of being a witch. What do you plead? And he was like, I'm not going to say anything. And they're like, fine, we're going to put you under these rocks until you tell us what you plead, guilty or not guilty. And he was like, no. So let me tell you something here. Okay. In the literature about Giles Corey's death, there is a reference to his famous last words being, more weight. Oh. These words were uttered as a final attempt to expedite his death, while also showing that not even imminent death could convince him to go to trial. Wow. It is even told that the sheriff took his cane and pressed Giles's tongue back into his mouth just oh. before he died at the end of two days of being slowly crushed. <laughs> I just picture this like they're they're just torturing him and he's like keeps on going. Is that all you got? Literally, that's what he was doing. <laughs> More weight. Yeah. He was excommunicated from the village church so that he would not die as a member of the church. And <laughs> Your membership has been revoked. Basically. Is that all you got? More weight. <laughs> on September twenty first, sixteen ninety two, Martha, his wife, was hanged on Gallows Hill. Oh. It has been speculated that the publicity surrounding the pressing of Giles may have in fact helped to build public opposition to the witchcraft trials. As the trials progressed, accusations spread to people from other communities surrounding Salem Village. And though the respected minister Cotton Mather had warned of the dubious value of spectral evidence, his concerns went largely unheeded during the Salem witch trials. His father... (laughs) I mean, this better be good, because you've been leading up to it. What is it? Increase Mather. (laughs) Increase Mather? Increase is his first name. Increase. 
increase. Okay. President of Harvard College later joined his son in urging that the standard of evidence for witchcraft must be equal to those of any other crime, concluding that it would be better that 10 suspected witches may escape than one innocent person be condemned. So all 20 of them were innocent. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a joke related to his name, Increase. Something about increasing the number of witches. It's not coming to me. I'm not firing on all cylinders today. You don't know everything, apparently. This is just a... This is a shit show. <sighs> what? Honestly, I feel like this is a well-researched episode. <laughs> no, it is. It is. I'm just... Uh, I'm busting your balls, you know? Mm. Oh, sorry. Was I not supposed to tell the listeners? You but I have balls? <laughs> Uh, I'm just your balls. Continue. <laughs> Governor Phipps, in response to Mather's plea and the fact that his own wife was now being accused of witchcraft, prohibited further arrests and released many witches. He went on to dissolve the special courts on, on October 29th. Oh, almost Halloween. I didn't know that. What? You... He he did this on October 29th. That's like almost Halloween. Yeah, but it's it's not. <laughs> Whatever. Still spooky season. Oh, wow. <laughs> He replaced it with a superior court of judicature, which disallowed spectral evidence and only condemned three out of 56 defendants. Phipps eventually pardoned all those who were in prison on witchcraft charges on May 1693, but the damage had already been done. 19 had been hung on Gallows Hill, a 71-year-old man had been pressed to death, several had died in jail, and nearly 200 people overall had been accused of practicing the devil's magic. In January 1697, the Massachusetts General Court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of the Salem witch trials. The court later deemed the trials unlawful, and the leading justice, Samuel Sewell, publicly apologized for his role in the process. The damage to the community lingered, however, even after Massachusetts colony passed legislation. Well, yeah, they can no longer call themselves a village. They have to go down to Hamlet. (laughs) Of course you'd be suffering. (laughs) passed legislation restoring the good names of the condemned and providing restitution to their heirs in 1711. However, it was not until 1957 that Massachusetts formally apologized for the events of 1692. 1957? That's when they were finally like, you know, maybe we shouldn't have accused you of being witches. You know what? That wasn't that fucking long ago. (laughs) I know. I was actually honestly surprised that they made that apology. It's sometimes weird to me to think, like, things that happened so far ago would be on that they would apologize for something that yeah they're like oh we had nothing to do with that kind of thing yeah yeah that's fair but i mean but i mean it's good thank, i just was surprised thank you i guess <laughs> yeah in the 20th century artists and scientists alike continue to be fascinated by the salem witch trials in 1953 playwright arthur miller resurrected the tale in his play the crucible which incidentally i studied in grade 12 english and it was so good yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it's pretty dope, and there's a movie about it, too, starring Winona Ryder, which is kind of sexy. <laughs> I don't know why I did okay, that. Okay, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> um, so Miller wrote that play as an allegory for the Red Scare of Communism in the 1950s, which is a story for a different time. Ooh, intrigue. <laughs> the abuses of the Salem witch trials would contribute to changes in U.S. court proceedings, playing a role in the advent of the guarantee of the right to legal representation, because they had to defend themselves, yeah. uh, the right to cross-examine one's accuser, and the presumption of innocence rather than of guilt. Because they mm. were like, y'alls are guilty, get on there. And now it's like, no, you're innocent until proven guilty. Right. And this was one of the things that helped make that happen. So witches led to better laws. Sure. That is cool. (laughs) 
Numerous hypotheses have been created to explain the strange behavior that occurred in Salem on 1692. People don't really know why the girls were, like, twisting and shouting and contorting their bodies. One belief is that the girls' actions were caused by eating ergot fungus, which we remember from our Dancing Plague episode. I was thinking about that. I was like, this relates somehow. Yeah. Cool. Look at you remembering things. Kind of. I, I was like, when you said the smallpox thing, I'm like, I think we did an episode of that. That was it's like we're first... almost learning history. I'm almost learning history. That's what we should uh, name the podcast. Uh, <laughs> almost learning history. <laughs> Toxicologists say that eating ergot contaminated foods can lead to muscle spasms, vomiting, delusions, and hallucinations. The fungus thrives in warm and damp climates, not too unlike the swampy meadows in Salem Village, where rye was the staple grain during the spring and summer months. Historians seem to be caught up on what caused the movements and contortions and the screaming, but to that I wonder, have they ever been in the company of kids playing? Imagination is a powerful thing, especially in a society that would never let them behave in such a manner at any other time. Yeah, I mean, I can speak for myself, me and Rhea, when she was roughly four or five, we we used to play Exorcism. What?! Yeah, it was super That's fun. That's like the worst game ever. No, it was great. She would pretend to be uh, possessed, and she would run around this house screaming, Rah! and I'd go, the power of Christ compels you, and I'd chase her around the house, and I'd, I'd uh, put my head hand on her forehead and, and like push her into the ground and be like, ah, come out the devil. It was a very age-appropriate game. That's fair. Well, honestly, okay, so... That, I think, really relates to the first couple of girls that were acting this way, right? So they, some people think that they were hanging out with Tituba a little bit. Um, and she was being like, she knew things about voodoo and was telling the girls about it. Plus, they knew about the Malleus Maleficarum and what was in it. And so mm-hmm. I honestly think that, you know, their imagination just got the best of them. Yeah. Right? Especially in such a repressed society, like the Puritan society, where mm-hmm. women had no power. Yeah. So this leads into my little paragraph that I wrote about this. Okay. So myself, however, I think that there's a simpler explanation for these events, and that's that the girls simply liked the attention that they were receiving from being at the trials and the power that they had in sending people to their deaths. The trials relied heavily on these girls' testimony, stating that their accused had visited them in the night and attacked them. And owing to the prevalent belief in America, and Europe too, that witches and the devil were real, the adults believed and accepted these girls' testimonies as truth. Did the girls know that what they were doing and the ramifications of it? I'm not sure, but as we learned in the Dancing Plague Mass Hysteria episode, we can see that people can easily succumb to groupthink and fear. Not only that, a large number of the accused were people who stood in the way of the Putnams gaining wealth and property, or were people that the Putnams had feuded with. Today, the Salem witch trials remain a cautionary tale of the dangers of groupthink and scapegoating, and the power of fear to manipulate human perception. So Dakota, what do you think? It was all right. I didn't think it was going to get as high of a score as, uh, I didn't do this for you. I did this for the, for the listeners. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> this, this, this podcast is to feed my goddamn ego. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how dare you? Now, let me talk about the episode. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, kind of interesting. I think, um, if it would have been on its own and not pre, pre done, pre, what's the word? Prequeled? prequel <laughs> if it had not been prequeled by witches in the last episode let's go with that uh if the last episode hadn't been also witches because i'm not like crazy about witches so two in a row eh. uh but it's interesting 
the guy increased his name. I was ex- uh, you hyped it up, so I was expecting more. What would you expect it? his name to be? I don't know, like uh, Bong Lord sixty nine or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Yeah, that was but... a popular name <laughs> in the sixteen nineties. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think? Why do you think the girls were screaming and contorting themselves? What's your hypothesis? Well, I mean, I, I, it's gonna be boring. I just kind of agree with you that oh. um, these little shits wanted attention. And I mean, you know, we play weird games, you know, I we mean, do. I played exorcism with a four year old. Well, I remember me and my sister used to make videos of like, and I'd be like a creepy monster and I'd like <laughs> chase her and stuff. So like, it's not out of the realm of what children do when they're playing games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I don't know. I just think it's little shits getting attention. And those little shits caused a lot of death and misery. Yeah. Well, and I think we can also think about the um, Michelle Remembers episode about how they were like, children don't lie, but mm-hmm. like, they don't do, do lie. all the goddamn time. Yeah. They don't have like a moral compass really yet. That's why yeah. we have to teach them it. Anyways. Okay. So my rating. I'm just trying to get you to talk more before you get to the rating. Oh, why? Well, I miss, I miss when you talk more before you get to the rating. Oh, thank you. You're just nervous about what I'm going to do. No, give I'm you. not. I'm okay, not. Okay, okay. So, I don't have a great uh tag for this one. So, uh, just cuz like I didn't like I said, listeners, I'm not firing on all cylinders this week. I'll do better next time, I promise. But I will give this 7.5 witchcrafts. <laughs> That's such a bad tagline. Out of 10. Shut your goddamn <laughs> mouth. Witchcrafts was a great joke. You could shut up, okay? <laughs> There is going to be at least one listener that out there. Let me know in the comments slash send me a message if you liked witchcrafts as a joke. Don't message me, however, if you didn't. My ego can't take it. Ego? <laughs> yeah. My... I will be sad. My self-esteem can't take it. That's the words. So yeah, 7.5 witchcrafts out of 10. You can take that one to the bank. Got it. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, or tell your friends about us, because indie podcasts really do grow through word of mouth. And if you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian, or on Facebook under The Reluctant Historian Podcast. You can also shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted to the reluctant historian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Witchcrafts is a great joke, and I'm tripling down on it, okay? This is the third time I've mentioned it. Fuck you. <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.